So, uh, just a second here. First of all, um, for those who don't know, my mother passed while we were gone. Uh, that was a surprise. Uh, we weren't expecting it right now, even though she'd been in severe dementia for quite a while and so on. And the truth is, very difficult. I mean, losing your mom, many of you have, and you know, you know, just difficult, period. Uh, but the other side of the coin is 91 years of an amazing life. And then, in the way that God does things, this is going to kind of fit with the sermon today, three years that were incredibly difficult out of the last five have been difficult, but three years that were, you know, a severe dementia patient uh, that was very difficult. But honestly, in looking back at everything that happened in the way that it did, it's just unbelievable how merciful even three years in dementia, I, let me just, just real briefly, I just, I, after she had passed, we were now talking and everything else, and all of a sudden the Lord just hit me and he, he just brought this thought to my mind, which is, my mom and my dad were together 24-7 for the last 40 years of their life. They'd even been that, almost that close before that. But for 40 years they lived in Jackson Hole and they were together all day, every day. Now, if she had just suddenly passed and she had a racing heart and came within literally minutes of dying a couple of times, if she had just passed away suddenly, what would it have done to my dad? It just would have killed him. I mean, I'd, I just don't know that he would have been able to make it. I think it would have literally broke his heart. And as it was, this was still very difficult. But just think about the difference of spending three years of where she's increasingly absent it's increasingly, you see, the, you get the drift, right? All of a sudden, when she goes, even he is saying, this is a grace by God. Particularly since she didn't have to be institutionalized or hospitalized or all the things that I was literally back there this month to figure out. That's why I was there, to figure out, do we need to hospitalize or what do we need to do at this point? So it was just a thing of grace. I'm looking at a critical care nurse back there, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. God could not have been more gracious, even in the amount of time it took those three years for her to pass with that difficulty. Even that, we now say, oh my gosh, look at that, right? So that fits with the So I just want to say thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. I got to tell you, though, God is just doing the most extraordinary things. My dad kept saying throughout the whole of the three years, God, why don't you just take her? Why don't you just take her? Why are you letting this prolong? Well, I think I know why now. I didn't see it before. But now I'm going, oh, what a grace. In a similar way, this is what we're going to hear from John. And I have to tell you a quick story so that you can understand that God really is doing something. This isn't us that's orchestrated this. When it was time to figure out what to do in August, and this was several months ago now, we just prayed about it, and we said, who preaches when, and that kind of stuff. But you have to understand something about us. We don't tell people what to preach. We figure out who's supposed to preach. We ask the Lord who's supposed to talk, and then they get to talk about whatever. Usually, it might be according to some series that we're doing, but a lot of times it's not. And this August, we really felt like what the Lord was saying was, Joe, Kevin, Justine. That's who was supposed to talk. For those of you who are here for Joe's sermon, that was one of the more remarkable sermons, in my opinion, that's ever been preached here. 
just the heart and this thing and the process that God took her through of a great difficulty, but then coming to a new relationship with God, and the next week, Kevin, in a very different way, preached that same message, and we didn't plan that. And then the next week, Justine, last week, got up here and did it again. <laughs> again, a very different angle, but the one similar theme and the similar theme throughout all three of those was very clearly, this seems to be a season where God might not be doing, not everybody's in this, but where a lot of people are. And this is not just here at this church. I'm finding this, I just traveled the country and I'm finding it everywhere. Where people are saying, why isn't God doing what I'm used to him doing? And in particular, why is he letting this very difficult thing continue? And what Joe said at the first sermon and what each one then reiterated was this. I think that God is trying to teach us how to love him on an entirely different level than anything having to do with anything that's happening to you, period. No matter what it is, he's trying to take us off of circumstances and onto him. So with that in mind, I was, it was time to pray. I mean, it was time to, I realized, sorry, I realized that my mother was, we didn't know quite when she was going to pass and where I would be, so I got started praying and thinking about who am I supposed to have preached today, not knowing that I would be back. I'm surprised to be back. And, and John came to my mind. And, and I, it was just so strong. And I called him, and he said, I can't. I'm helping the Maddoxes move, and so I can't. And then he said, but there's this thing that God's been rolling around in my head. Now, when he said that, he hadn't heard Joe, Kevin, or Justine's sermons because he's been working in Wenatchee to get a business going and do some things that he'll talk about in a second. So he hadn't heard any of those. And then I said, well, what is it? <laughs> Take a guess. It was just, yet again, an entirely different way of looking at it, but very much in that same theme. And at some point in time, you know, when God just keeps doing the same thing over and over, it feels like you ought to sort of sit up and take notice, right? It's like, pay attention to what he's saying, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do next week, but I just want to say, I really feel like the Lord is trying to say something to us. And so John, who I just love with all of my heart and always have and always will, a mountain of a man, and I mean that not just in his size, but in his character and in who he is as a human being, just a man that I look up to continually in all ways, uh, I really am excited for you to hear what the Lord wants to bring through him. So, John. You can clap. <laughs> Well, good morning. I, uh, I had one week's notice, and uh, it was a it was an interesting week, which I'll talk about. And uh, so, I need my notes. If you'll extend to me a little grace this morning, because um, I'm not great at this norm on on a on a good week, <laughs> but on short notice. And then the other thing is my short-term memory um, decided after several years of stress and hard work, and you know, it just decided to leave. And I don't know why, but I have no short-term memory. So um, I got to have my notes, and I sort of got to 
almost fake that I'm reading them, so I hope that you'll grant me a little, uh, a little latitude there. So, um, and then the other thing is, uh, Kurt just did half of my sermon, so um, I got to figure out where to pick up from that. Um, I had to chuckle when uh, Justine was talking about doing her sermon and going, oh no, I, uh, I'm doing something that I've done before and I don't want to do it. It's not happy. I just want to do a happy sermon. And I had to laugh because I had had the exact same thought as I was working through this with Kurt. I was like, I don't, you know, I did Job 10 years ago. And that's what I felt like God was taking me back to, um, and just walking with God during hard times. And I didn't know that there were these three sermons about walking with God with hard times. And I thought, oh, no, I want to do that. I did it 10 years ago. You know, let me do something happy and fluffy and not Job. But uh, it just seemed to be that God was in it. You know, the way that uh, he brought it to me, not knowing what had already happened. So, okay, just, just go with it. So, um, and like Kurt said, I, I think the reason, it seems obvious that that we're doing it four times in a row is because God's trying to say something. And if he's wanting to say it four times in a row, then it's probably pretty important. And I'm really believing there's, there's some people here who need to be encouraged, need to, to know that it's okay, and also some of us that just need to be challenged. And I'm gonna do that. Um, uh, the, thank you, the, the three messages are all beautiful analogies of um, being in the wilderness uh, with God. And what particularly jumped out at me was uh, a picture that Justine painted of, of her being in the, in the desert place with God and beautiful, clean running water and uh, buses going by with, with believers on board who didn't want to be bothered with the hard stuff in the desert. They just wanted to shortcut through on the air-conditioned comfy bus. And um, I'm going to refer back to that comfy bus, but if you weren't here, I wanted you to understand what that was. It was, it was believers who, who didn't want the hard things. We just want to skip the hard things, get right into the promised land. And our, our conversations about um, us wandering in the wilderness and sort of comparing that using the analogy of the Israelites in the wilderness, it breaks down a little bit because, you know, for the most part, that was about sin, you know, them not believing, not having enough faith. Okay, go wander for 40 years. And, um, but for us, I want to I talk about wilderness as a pruning experience, uh, a fiery furnace experience, something that God is wanting to do in us that's good, okay? It's not because of our sin. And we're in good company there. So Jesus was led into the wilderness and tempted. Moses, Paul, David, all the great leaders in the Bible were, um, were called by God. They went through uh, this experience, often for many years, and then uh, God moved them into their calling. And if you, uh, you know, if you look at, talk to anybody in ministry today who's doing anything significant for God, they'll tell you they've gone through this kind of experience. Uh, our missionary, Lyle Hall, puts it, puts it this way. He won't work with anybody who hasn't gone through this experience. He says, I don't want to work with somebody who's not wrestled with God and they walk with a limp because it, it makes a difference. So this morning, wilderness, it's not about punishment for sin. It's something that God wants to do in us. 
And um, the other thing I just want to say right up front is, and, and it was said in the other messages, but you got to be careful when you're talking about um, suffering and hardship. It's kind of easy to think, well, um, you know, you compare your, your suffering to somebody else's and think, well, um, you know, you, you haven't gone through what I've gone through. You haven't gone through, through something as bad as I have. Um, and, you know, I can do that. I can, I can look at people in this room and just go, I've, I've not had to walk the hard things that you've had to walk. Um, but the pain still hurts. It's easy for us to look at somebody and go, you know, I, I haven't, I, you, know, you know, my pain's not that big a deal. But it, it still hurts. And it's easy to do the opposite, look at somebody and say, I don't know what you're complaining about. You, you've not walked where I've walked. But their pain is still real. And God knows that. God's made us different. God's um, called us to be compassionate and not judgmental. And just to understand that we don't know the pain that somebody's in. And just to accept that. Is that all right? So I want to invite you out into my wilderness. And it's not my intention to make this message uh, about me. It's my hope is that my story in some way will help inspire you and even challenge you. And it's going to get a little heavy at times. Sorry. <laughs> it's wilderness. Um, but, you know, when God, when God changes your life, when God takes you to new places with him, it's always heavy stuff. Right? But it's always good. So it's okay. Um, and I promise the story has a good ending. So, Okay. My, uh, my personal wandering started 16 years ago when I came to work at the church. And I eventually um, and reluctantly at one point said yes to becoming a pastor. And about three weeks after my ordination... It was like a freight train just hit my life at full speed. And it stopped and backed up and had at me again, right? I mean, it just, my life just blew up. I eventually lost my careers, my money, my reputation as a businessman, the respect of my family, friends who abandoned me because they just couldn't understand what was going on. Uh, it's added incredible stress at times uh, between Lori and I. It's been a real challenge to our marriage. Um, and I am currently in a line of work and a job that I really don't like. Uh, and I'm doing this work because I believe God made it clear that I was supposed to do it, uh, whether I liked it or not. And this has lasted now for 16 years. Not in my wildest, worst imagination, but I have thought it had lasted this long. And apparently... I am a very slow learner. That's, that's my takeaway. Um, but God's done some amazing things in the last 16 years. Uh, four unbelievable kids, a wife who still supports me, uh, true friends who have stuck with me through the journey, and, um, and really just an amazing countless number of ministry opportunities, right? God's God's been faithful in that. But there have been times of great despair. Um, years of crying out to God for some kind of understanding and direction out of, out of the wilderness. Uh, I want to read you just a small part of a letter that I wrote many years ago to God. Um, I titled it, Dear God. 
And I'm reading this to you because I really want you to understand the depth of the pain of the journey. And the reason for that is so when we get to the end, you can really understand um, the great things that God can do in that process. So it's, it's not to just smoosh you, but, you know, we'll get there. Um, dear God, seven years of struggle and I'm broken. I don't get better with each new challenge. I just feel more and more a failure as a Christian and a provider for my family. Well, what more can be said? I trusted that I had heard the Lord I'm going to work at the church. I trusted that I was supposed to remain working in contracting instead of looking elsewhere. I've asked for a long time for some indication from God that I'm doing the right thing. Well, either I'm too thick to hear the answer or the fact that there is no answer is answer enough. My resume is seemingly shot for anything useful other than scratching out a living as a two-bit contractor. So nice to know what a bleepy inspiration I'll be to my kids and family. So nice that at 43, I've got nothing but debt, no prospects for a financially successful future. Pathetic, that's what I am. For the sake of my wife and kids, I'll get up and keep going, but there is no life in my soul anymore. I've got three pages of this, and some of it's way worse, right? I've been waiting for 16 years for God to lead me into my promised land. And last year, I felt like God said to me, start praying for ideas. So we did. And we started having ideas for the first time in years of what I could do uh, for, for work. And we've been working on two of those. And one of them we've been working on uh, a lot in the last few months. And so we hired a consultant and to do a feasibility study to see if, if this was a good idea. And, um, you know, I'm, I was kind of hoping this was going to be my, my moment, my moment when God called, called the Israelites out of the desert in Deuteronomy and said, then at last the Lord said to me, you have wandered around the hills long enough, turn north. You know, that's, this, was, this feasibility study is going to be that moment for me, right? So I get the call from Kurt last week hey, will you do this message? Yeah, I feel like God uh, is calling me to do this message on, on wilderness and pruning and hard times. And, but there's a problem. And the problem is, this is a topic not fully resolved in my life, right? I, you know, I'm trying to preach on something and I'm not quite fully there yet. So guess what? After waiting weeks, my feasibility study comes in right as I start my sermon prep. And guess what? The answer is not definitive. It's not clear. It's not an absolute yes or no. And yet again, I am left waiting to hear from God. Is this my call out of the wilderness? Or am I being sent back to wander for more? And then, just to pile on even more, I guess, um, I find out Wednesday that the other project that we've been working on for a year and a half in Wenatchee may now not be possible. Both projects with major life 
consequences that seemed to be God finally calling me out of the wilderness blew up in my face this week as I'm writing this sermon. So, seems like a good time to ask, what is God doing when we don't get what we want? Which was the theme of Joe's message. When it seems like your world is pulled out from under you like a carpet, which was the theme of Kevin's message, and when life is so overwhelming that you don't know what the answers are or where to turn, which is basically the theme of Justine's message. Where are you at in the hard places in your life? And what do we know about God in these moments that give us hope and comfort? So that's where I'm going today. Who's praying for me? Kurt. Kurt. Kurt Jackson. You know, Kurt is kind of annoying, and I would stay away from him at all costs. Check, that's check. an inside joke. If you, if you don't know, ask me later, but that's an inside joke. Wonderful guy. I'll, I'll bug you again so soon. Don't pray worry. for me. Pray for another church. <laughs> sure thing. Uh, Lord, thank you for John, and I just... Um, I thank you for the how you've reached me through him, just through um, just your wisdom in in relationships and business, and just how to look at things and look at the real picture. I know it can be difficult to share things, and you want to say show a developed, you know, to say I'm here. This is this is how the story ends. This is how it is. But I think that you know uh, struggles. Walking through struggles is really important because most of us are still in the middle of it. So I just thank you for him being willing to share these things. And I just pray that you um, pray that you reach us where we are here today and to show us your love in every struggle that um, that we go through. And you know I pray for for your love and wisdom to reach us through this sermon today. Uh, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Oh, and I'm praying for a trip. So how was that for a light and fluffy intro? David? So I get my feasibility study this week, and I don't have the clear answers I was hoping for. Um, and my heart is just ripped open. I have a million questions. I, I can physically feel my blood pressure go up, I can feel my heart racing, snapping at my kids, right? It's, you know, it's just like another huge dream in my life is about to die. I'm thinking, you know, is this another test? Another evaluation of my faith and trust in God's goodness? Another opportunity for me to fail spiritually and emotionally? And I'm left asking myself, have I learned nothing? 16 years of pruning and discipline by God. And I'm still questioning his plans. Do I really trust him? Have I learned anything in the last 16 years? And after further reflection, it turns out maybe I have learned a few things while meandering around in the wilderness. In fact, I've got a long list of things I've learned. And in an effort not to make this a three-hour sermon, I'm going to keep it to just five, okay? I came of age uh, 
at a time when the church was grabbing on to the faith message. And that movement um, that said, unless everything is good and comfortable in our lives, we have somehow failed because we haven't had enough faith. Because only good things come from God. And in this dogma, good things means that everything in our life is comfortable and perfect and fine. And yet a careful study of God's word shows that this type of doctrine, it's not really biblical, and it certainly doesn't bring a full understanding to a life where we are called to take up his cross, right? I mean, um, caught up with myself. Psalm 66, 8 through 12. O bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined, which means getting it really hot. You brought us into the net. I do that when I'm slaying fish, and it's not good for the fish. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. He, God, lays affliction on our backs. He causes others to ride over our heads. He takes us through water and fire. John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Which leads us to lesson number one. Pruning is part of God's plan. This is a lesson that's become very real to me, and quite frankly, I find it comforting. God says in his word that he'll prune us, he'll discipline us and refine us because he loves us. And by definition, pruning's gonna be uncomfortable. We don't get physically stronger and leaner by sitting on the couch. Exhibit number one. <laughs> we don't get spiritually stronger sitting on the comfy bus. Knowing that God is the one bringing discomfort to our lives, it's reassuring because we know that no one loves us as much as he does. And if he's doing it, then it's for our good. But it still hurts, right? One of the biggest challenges to working through this process is having to reconcile it with the typical Christian's efforts to appear as if everything in their life is fine. We all genuinely want to put on a happy face, gather with our fellow believers, and celebrate our Lord and Savior. Pain and heartache, it can make us uncomfortable. It can, it can be uncomfortable in others. So we don't want to be a burden to others. We don't want to show our pain. We don't want to seem like we're, we're wobbly in our faith. So we're fine. But how can we come alongside each other and be each other's comfort and strength if we can't be real with each other? How can someone who's feeling broken and lost reach out for help if our, if our standard is a Christianized religious form of everything being perfect and having it all together, even if it's manifestly untrue. 
Which leads us to lesson number two. I skipped ahead. Lesson number two. It's okay to not be okay. Job cried out in pain to God a lot with good reason. David cried out to God and was honest in his pain and failures. And unless we can share our hurts and pains and work through the process of growth and recovery together, we will never become truly strong in our faith. The world is hurting and broken. They need to know we understand this and that we will wrap our arms around them with true affection and love. Consider the story of the Good Samaritan. When he saw the man lying broken on the side of the road, what did he do? Did he chastise him? Did he say, you know, it was really stupid of you to come walking down this road by yourself. You should have brought some friends. You should have planned ahead. He didn't do that. He didn't put him down. He just bound up his wounds and he took care of his restoration. Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The Lord recognizes that at times we're going to be brokenhearted. And if he recognizes this, so should we. If we cannot acknowledge the truth about something, then we can't work to make it better. If someone's feeling crushed and brokenhearted, what benefit is it to pretend like the pain doesn't exist? If we can't acknowledge and recognize the pain in ourselves and others as real, we can never become part of what God's doing to bring healing and restoration. It's okay to not be okay. Because then it's okay to bring grace and comfort to the one who is not okay, so that they are okay to receive an okay from the one who can then make them okay. Okay? It's okay to not be okay. There's no pain greater than that of a broken heart. Be careful what you say to someone who's hurting. Be careful that your words of encouragement don't come off sounding like a correction. Oh, you shouldn't feel that way because God loves you. That's not a comfort. And while the essence of it may be true, that kind of correction turns the word into a weapon and drives people away. It will cause them to hesitate to share the pain in their hearts. <sighs> share God's word as a true encouragement but do so after you've recognized the hard places that someone's in. That's grace. Which leads us to lesson number three, I think. We need more grace. Consider John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the word, he's truth, but he's also grace. The grace that we extend to each other should be a reflection of the grace that God wants to grant to us. If the unbelieving world is supposed to look at us and see God's grace, how much more evident should that grace be toward each other 
when we ourselves are hurting. Now, one of the really fun parts about being in the wilderness is all the opportunities to fail. Seems to happen frequently in my life, but you know the wonderful thing about that? God's pruning has caused me to fail in many ways, and my failure has been excruciatingly humbling. When I was in my 20s, I thought it was so easy to be a Christian. I did not understand people who struggled in their faith. I did not understand Christians who had sin and doubt. But thank God, in my humbled, broken state at 52, my capacity for grace has grown exponentially. When he prunes us, it humbles us. And when we're humbled, we can see his grace evident in our lives. And then we can bring that grace to others. Have you sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Great, me too. Have you doubted God and questioned his plan for your life? Great, me too. So tell you what, how about together we lift each other up and move towards God's grace together? How about together we recognize and be honest about our weaknesses so that we can rejoice all the more in his grace and mercy? How much more can we rejoice in his perfection when we're not caught up in trying to be perfect on our own? Amen? Hey, Adam, you're up, buddy. Adam's, Adam's gonna go fetch my helper. <clears throat> so one of the hard truths I've learned in my study of Job after, after all that was said and done, God never explains to Job why there's so much hardship in his life. In fact, when he finally spoke to Job, God appeared to sound rather harsh. Job 38, one through seven. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? Who supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. This lecture from God goes on verse after verse. And it's not exactly the warm and fuzzy response you're wanting from God when you're looking for comforting words, when you're in hard times. But I, I think, and I have learned this personally, that the reason that God said that to Job was because Job really needed to be reminded and understand just how big God is. When we are in a hard place and we think we have all the answers or we don't have any answers, there is, n there is nothing, nothing that's bigger than our God. And we need to know that in those hard times. We need to be reminded that our God is way bigger than any problem that we have. Isaiah 55, eight says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. And I love it in the NLT, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. Which brings us to lesson number four, God's ways are not our ways.
there's a tendency in our modern enlightened Christian walk to think of God as the good shepherd who holds his sheep closely and bids us to come to him as a little child. And that is true. But he is also God. And he is also our Lord. And it is our obligation to obey him, not the other way around. He is not our heavenly Santa Claus. He doesn't have to explain himself to us, even though he has graciously given us his word in written form so that we can go there for comfort. He is not the one who needs to be disciplined. He is not the one who needs to be purified. Where were we when he formed the foundations of the world? Where were we when he created heaven and earth and breathed life into us? The truth is, we are wholly incapable of understanding God's ways, and it is a mercy that he does not let us know what he's doing because we really don't understand how mighty he is and how, and how holy he is. And the fullness of who he is and what he is doing would overwhelm us. When God's word says that no weapon formed against us will prosper, we can be assured there is nothing in heaven and earth that can come close to the awesome God we serve. But the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as such, it's our job to pay attention to what he is doing and not the other way around, even though that we know his eye never strays from us. And while it can be extraordinarily difficult when you're in a hard place to understand what God's doing or what he wants you to do, he has at least graciously told us why he's doing it. Hebrews 12, to purify us from our sin nature, to teach us discipline, to teach us obedience, to develop in us righteousness, to make us more fruitful, to inherit blessings, to partake in his holiness, which is to say his presence. Which leads us to the last lesson for today that I've learned while wandering in the desert. The plan is to bring us closer to him. And one of my biggest frustrations in the last 16 years is feeling like the best, most productive years of my life have been wasted. Why am I in the desert with God when I can be out there doing good things for him? But God's ways are not our ways. The things that we think are so important, career, money, reputation, they're not his priority. His intent is always about working in ways that we can't understand to draw him closer and closer to us, even when it feels like he's pushing us away. I'm gonna talk more about that in just a moment. But first, I wanna show you a visual picture of what it is that God's wanting to do with us. Jack, come on up here, buddy. This is Jack. He's gonna be my helper today. Jack, I you to crawl up here, all right? Now, this, this looks precarious. It's dangerous. And this is what it looks like when God takes us out to these tough places, right? We're in a dangerous spot, and it's a little shaky, a little wobbly, and you're way up there. Yeah, it is. And we just want down, right? We just want out of here. But what God sees that we can't see are all the dangerous things that are waiting for us, okay? 
There's lions, there's bears, there's sharks. They look like dolphins, but they're sharks and they're waiting to get you. And the scariest thing of all, terrifying, right? And they're there, quite almost, they're there and we can't see them, but we just want out of this safe place. And we just want God. And what's the thing we just need the most from God when we're in a scary place like this? This is what we need. When you're in a hard place, you know, this is what I need from my Lord. And you know what? That's what he wants too. He wants to bring you right in close where there's nothing else, just you and him. And pretty soon, when you spent time with God, guess what? You're not where you were anymore. Now, you're in a safe place. And all of that's gone. God's taken you. Promise me. Thanks, buddy. All done. See you later. doing good. I cried a lot more of my thing with Kurt. <laughs> I'm doing great today. <clears throat> it's not a definitive list. There are way more lessons. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons by Joe and Kevin and Justine. I think I've probably listened to each of them three or four times now, and they're amazing. And they're deep and they're rich. And the more you, you listen to them, the more you just go, wow, God's saying something pretty amazing. So I have a, I have a two-part ending. I'm like one of those movies where you get to pick the ending. Okay? So ending number one, um, I want to speak to those of you who are in a hard place and you don't know why you're there and you don't know what God wants of you. You don't know what to do next. You just, God, where are you? If you're in that kind of place, I, I hope this message is encouraging to you. Um, you know, there's times, we, we end up in hard places sometimes because, you know, bad choices we make or could be spiritual attack. You know, sometimes it's just, just life, you know. But, um, and what, you know, what I did initially was, I think, what have I done to make God mad? What did I do wrong? What, what kind of sin did I do that was so bad that I got punted? And it's easy to do that. But I'm very thankful that God um, graciously let me know through some prophetic words from people in the church and, and other things that um, my wilderness experience wasn't because of failure or sin. He was doing this. And if he's doing it, it must be good, even though it hurts, because he is good. He prunes and disciplines those he loves. If you're in that hard place, it's not because you sinned. It's not because you did something wrong. 
It hurts because it's burning out of us those things which keep us from God and from his holiness. The great comfort is knowing that God is doing this. We are not forgotten. We are not forsaken. We haven't sinned and been rendered unfit for his service. Just the opposite. If you're in that painful wilderness place, hold on to that. Hold on to the understanding that God's got you right where he wants you. Even if you feel like Job felt. You have become cruel to me, Lord. You use your power to persecute me. You throw me into the whirlwind. You destroy me in the storm. You feel like God's thrown you out to the storm to fend for yourself and survive on your own? Do you feel like God's mad at you, even to the point of becoming cruel toward you? Been there, thought that. But let me show you something really cool. Where was God when he finally spoke to Job at the end of the book? When Job was feeling thrown out into the storm and God speaks to him, where was God speaking from? When the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Job's perspective was that God wanted to hurt him, to destroy him, to throw him away. You feel like God's taking your life, put it in a blender and hit liquefy? Job felt that way. I felt that way. But God's perspective is he's not throwing us away, but he's actually bringing us closer. He resides in the whirlwind. He's in the places that feel unsafe. He's in the places that require our full dependence on him. God is saying in the whirlwind to you, come join me. I want to show you how big I am. I want to show you just how much I want to be with you and give you joy, great joy. I want to mercifully take out of you those things which are keeping you from me and my holiness and from my heavenly embrace. If you're listening to this message and you're feeling lost in the wilderness, I hope you feel encouraged. I hope you feel comforted. He's got you right where he wants you. And if you will stick with him, he will bring you closer and closer to him. Now that's ending number one. Ending number two is for the rest of you. And it's a challenge. Why did I read to you from my dear God letter? Because it's hard as it's been. Lori and I have said many times, we wouldn't go back and miss it. We've weathered many storms with God and we're much stronger. We now know God in a way that would not have been possible in any other place. His word promises that he will bring us out into rich fulfillment. We don't know when and he's not required to tell us. It could be another 16 years. It could be next week. I'm voting for next week. <laughs> but now that I've been to the wilderness, I know God in a new way. 
I'm still waiting for my promised land, but I'm beginning to know God like Job did. Job 42, one through six, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job thought that he knew God, but after his wilderness, he realizes just how big God is and how much he really didn't know him. But now he's seen him with his own eyes. Like Job, when life is overwhelming, there's no hope, something happens in us. We begin to care less and less about the things of this world. The things that seem so important in our struggle begin to move away from us. And we begin to want just one thing. We want God. God, I, want, I just want you. And his response is, that's what I want as well. I want you, my child. I have done everything possible to make that happen. Run into my arms. I've got you. Our God is a dangerous God. He calls us to hard things and hard places. He causes us to lie down in green pastures. But he also allows us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Are you willing to go there with him? Consider the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler wanted to know from Jesus what he needed to do to have eternal life. Keep these commandments said Jesus. I have from my youth, said the man. I think sometimes it's overlooked that this man had been passionate for God and he was already doing what he needed for eternal life. In essence, he's like us. He's following God. His salvation is assured. He was being a great follower of God. Even though he was rich and a ruler and he could do whatever he wanted from his youth he had chosen to follow God's commandments with great zealousness. But what do I lack, he asked. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Pam in here, Pam, can you come up and team come up? We're almost done. <clears throat> Are you really willing to follow God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you really willing to forsake all to follow him, even if you don't know where he will take you, what he will ask you to do, or to surrender? I really believe that today, it's a big deal day for, for some of us, for some of you that God's been talking to you. Not everybody, but when God does something four weeks in a row, we should pay attention. 
If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we would be very wise to pay attention to what's been happening here. Our wilderness experiences with God are about bringing us closer to him. He can't do that in us if we want to ride the comfy bus through the hard places and never get out where it's uncomfortable. Jesus was inviting this faithful follower to a deeper walk, a closer walk, a walk worthy of eternity. And I believe that's what God is asking of us this morning. Are you really willing to go all in? Are we really willing to let go of everything that might be more important than him? Are we really willing to say yes and be pruned? To go someplace, to do something that's beyond us, it's not natural for us, it's incredibly uncomfortable. If you are, then know that God will take you to deep, rich places with him. But do you trust him to go there? Are you willing to let go of your life and let him take you to those deeper places? Will he stretch you, prune you, lay affliction on your back? Yep. Will it be hard? Most assuredly. But his plan is a life of rich fulfillment, a glorious eternity with him. And that is always worth choosing no matter what. Amen? I'm going to pray. Just take a moment, close your eyes. <clears throat> Just listen, you know. This isn't a guilt message. This is about God calling us to something deeper, something harder. And uh, let's just take a minute to respond. If he's talking to you, then respond. Uh, he's not, pray for the rest of us. Before we take communion, uh, could you just give me a second? Um, some of you will remember that three, four months ago, 
I start feeling something and I start saying it, which was two things that seemed a little contradictory, and that was, I feel like the Lord's doing something to prepare us that if things should fall, we would be solid. The saying in scripture is very simple. The things that God is going to do always start in the house of God because he needs to shake what can be shaken loose so that we are in a place where when the world's losing everything, we're home already. We're not losing it. We're not running in fear. We've, already, we've done that, but we've gotten through it. We found the Lord who is the answer to all things. And so I was saying that. I was saying I, I feel like that's what the Lord's doing, but I always said something else too, which is I didn't feel the release from the Lord to prophesy that there's something bad coming. I just have never felt that. And that might be just fear. You know, you don't want to prophesy that bad things are going to happen and then have another stock market rally, you know. But I don't think that was it. I think the Lord was cautioning me to not, even though those terms are the right terms to speak in, that's not what I was to do. I was to say, he's preparing us for this. And today, in that just incredibly good sermon. Somebody came up and whispered to me, this is important during the sermon. And I believe that too. That's what I heard too. I, when John did a sermon run through with me, I just, when he got done, I went, I, I told him that too. I said, I felt like the Lord said, don't touch. <laughs> don't touch. You know, I'm doing something. But I, what I heard today was, I just want you to think about this for a second. Forget about what's going to happen or not happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's not going to happen. I don't think he's telling me either way. I don't, I'm not saying that. But here's what I heard today. If the Lord put me through something that caused me to finally lay down my tight grip on the things of the world <laughs> so that I could get a hug, <laughs> because I know something, I don't hug him <laughs> when I'm holding on to a bunch of stuff. I hug the stuff and him. <laughs> right? And what I heard today was, is regardless of what happens, if what the Lord is doing with his body is causing us to lose our tight grip on the other things we're hugging and to finally just start loving him, <laughs> what's it matter what happens? What's it matter? Last week, to great effect, Justine read a psalm. This week, to great effect, you pulled out some psalms. Psalms is where all this stuff we've been talking about for four weeks is, right? You, you may think that psalms is always David being really godly. Read them sometime. <laughs> There's a lot of times where he's just, <laughs> it's all over the map, right? It's God pulling back the veil to say, this is what a relationship with me looks like. This is the range of it, the depth of it, the breadth of it, the breath of it. And I just want to say, that's what I think he's been doing. I want to thank you, John. I want to thank Justine. I want to thank Kevin. And I want to thank Joe for breathing this word for sharing, for 
transparently opening yourselves up and letting us see inside the book like Psalms does. This is what's going on. Don't fake it. <laughs> Don't hide it. Own it. Because when you do, it starts to produce really good fruit. <laughs> so Lord, in Jesus' most spectacular name, we want to thank you for what you've been doing here. Oh, I'm so thankful. I'm just, I think I finally got it. <laughs> now all I have to do is go live it, and that turns out to be harder than anything I've ever done in my life. I just, every time I let things go, I'm the person, I'm the guy in the jerk that's saying, I don't need anything except that lamp. Man, that lamp is really nice. And this chair, oh, this chair is really good. God, don't let me be a jerk. Let me be somebody who loves you and I'm begging you. Whatever it takes to get my grip. To let go. To let the other things fall away. That I might hug you. Completely and utterly become one with you. Bring it. Boy, don't sit. Don't agree with me in prayer if you're not ready for this. But you know what? Trust that God is so good that he'll bring it to you. And even if it's tough, it'll be so good. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we know you to be a good God. And we thank you and praise you. Take that cup that's in front of you, the two cups, in fact, Grab the lower cup in which is <laughs> this is me breaking my life. <laughs> so put your finger in there and just think about all the things you've held on to other than God that have broke your life. <laughs> all the things you've hoped for and dreamed for. And, oh God. I just lift this cup up and we look right through it. We look right through the brokenness to the cross where by your stripes we have been healed. Body, soul, and spirit completely and utterly we have been healed by you loving Jesus who knows everything we're being tempted with and who has a way out. So thank you for healing us, Jesus. Take this bread together. Take this body together saying, Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. And now lift this cup in which I always like to think of it as the blood's already been shed, which is to say the life that you, the life that he has for you is already there just waiting for you. And all he wants you to do is to come and live it. So in Jesus' name, thank you for everything you did. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for working in us every day to bring us to Jesus, to bring us to you. And so in Jesus' holy and most magnificent name and in the Holy Spirit's love and in the Father's grace, we drink this life that you have that it might become ours. Thank you, Jesus.
Amen. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. It's got to be really fun to come up here and just rip yourself open like that. <laughs> okay, ushers, come forward. Congregation, pour it out to him, him alone. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we give you our lives. And we do so right now at this moment in time by giving you thanksgiving. Just the 10% giving you thanksgiving of the abundance of the incredible grace, of the incredible love that you have poured out on us. In Jesus' fantastic name.